The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Look with me in Matthew chapter 1 and look with me down to this marvelous account in chapter 1 and verse 18. Now, now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, I I actually prefer the New American Standard in King James here, and her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did, as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever, and by his grace and mercy may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. You know, um, I was just uh, thinking as you turned in your Bible to Matthew, then as you turned there, you probably noticed uh, that you had a blank page that was right in front of Matthew, where it says New Testament and Matthew, and here is that blank page. And That's been the context for our Advent series this year. The context being that blank page, which actually represents 400 years of silence. God has not spoken for 400 years. Now, that's not the first time. Uh, After he had communicated with Abraham, he told him that his people would be in Egypt under affliction, and he would be silent for 400 years and then send Moses to bring them out of bondage. And now the people are under affliction, and there have been 400 years of the silence of God during those 400 years. But while there was the silence of God during those 400 years, God had not been silent about those 400 years. He tells the people what's going to happen in that 400 years. He tells them in Daniel chapters 3 and and 6 and uh, 9 and and all over the book of Daniel and Zechariah and Malachi and Haggai, these prophets that spoke 
the last words of the Old Testament and the canon of the Old Testament. Tell them what's going to happen. The sweeping after the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire comes the sweeping um, Medo-Persian Empire and then the Greek Empire. And now what they have been under for almost 53 years now, the Roman Empire and its oppression upon them. But he also told them that at the right time, not only would he speak, he would speak through his son. God has finally spoken in these latter days through his son, the Lord Jesus. And as God breaks silence, he does so with four. He, his divine revelation comes in four angelic messages. You know, it's really interesting because if you go and read some of the extra biblical literature in the uh, in that arena of the Jewish population at that time, there was noteworthy that God, they were, they were talking. We have had no prophets. We have had no angelic communication, angels, those divine, divinely created messengers of God. We have had no message from God. God has not spoken through the angels. God has not sent his word through prophets. He has been silent for these 400 years, and we have not heard him. And now he speaks, and there are four angelic messages that bring us right up to the revelation, and the word becomes flesh, the very birth of Christ there in the stable. Those are four messages from these angels. Now, remember, angels actually long to know what you know. They long to see what we see. But they also long to do what God made them to do. These divine messengers... Luke, of course, it's, it's interesting that this period of no news is now followed by good news. It's no accident that the opening books of the old, of the New Testament are called gospels, good news. That God not only has brought news, he's brought good news. And he brings it initially through these four divine revelations, uh, delivered by an angelic couriers that he has sent. And, um, Luke, and Matthew are the ones that give us our information on this. The Spirit of God so moved them to record these events. And <clears throat> and Luke, of course, he gives us uh, three of them. We've already looked at <clears throat> the communication <clears throat> of the angel Gabriel to Zechariah and then to Mary. And now we come to a third communication. What's interesting is the first two, the angel is identified, Gabriel. And the one that we looked at and read this morning, it's not, the angel is not, it's a, it's an angel uh, of the Lord. We don't know who it is. Could have been Gabriel, don't know. But we don't know particularly what angel had been sent from the throne of God with this divine revelation. But we are given the setting and we are given the, the dynamics that are around it. Now I want you all to stop and think about this. As God begins to communicate his word after 400 years, there are these amazing parallels. Sometimes we just kind of read through it and we, we get fascinated with the things we think about and the, nat- uh, the nativity appearances and everything. But if you stop to think about it. Here is Luke giving us three, three of these accounts 
And they start in the temple with a divine message through an angel to Zechariah. And the last birth narrative ends at the temple with the Savior brought to the temple and Simeon and Anna. It's packaged in the temple setting. Then another thing that's interesting, at least to me, is the first angelic divine revelation through an angel by Gabriel comes to a man named Zechariah. Now we get to the third one, and it comes to another man, this man Joseph. Both men are bearing what we might call in redemptive history, they're bearing legacy names. Zechariah, from his tribe, he's a priest, from his tribe, he's bearing the name of one of the noteworthy priest and prophet of the tribe. We're actually studying him on Sunday nights, Zechariah. Now, Joseph is bearing the name of the one through whom God led the people down to Egypt, and that is Joseph. What's also interesting to me, and I'm going to try to make this case for you, while Joseph in the Old Testament and this Joseph are sinners needing a Savior, the Bible seems to take pains to record none of their liabilities. I'm sure they had them. I'm sure they had them. None of their liabilities. They're presented, obviously, as models and encouragements to us. Not because they're faultless by any means, but they're presented that way. So here is, they're both bearing a legacy name. Zechariah, he gets, he actually sees the angel standing there at the altar where he is doing his ministry. Joseph does not stand and see the angel. The angel comes and speaks in the midst of a dream, which, by the way, is certainly seemingly appropriate in light of his legacy name. Joseph, how did Joseph receive the messages through the dream? So much so, what was he called? Sarcastically, the dreamer. And so when he was communicating how what God was saying uh, to those, um, to his family and others uh, by way of dreams. Well, this Joseph also receives a message by way of dream. And so these parallels and, and these um, announcements, these four angelic announcements, they're all birth announcements. They're all announcements of a birth to Zechariah and Elizabeth, the birth of the one who fulfilled the closing text in the canon of the Old Testament. The last verses of Malachi say and promise before the day of the Lord, I will send one in the spirit and power of Elijah and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now, the opening of Luke is that that first message chronologically. The very first message from the throne, breaking silence, is picking up right where he left off 400 years. Now I'm going to tell you who's going to fulfill that. 
It's going to be one called John the Baptist. He's going to come by way of a providentially miraculous birth. And he announces to these who are advanced in years, beyond the years of childbearing, that they are going to bear this child and God has chosen them through which to, to accomplish this providential miracle. And so that baby will come through you. And then he gives him his name. You'll call him John. And he gives him his ministry. He'll turn, he's a preacher, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their father. And yes, that does have blessing in the natural family, but I don't think that's what it's pointing to. It's pointing to John the Baptist's ministry, turning. He calls, he's got a ministry of calling his people to repentance. Who is he calling to repentance? He's calling the fathers of God's covenant family. He's calling the prophets. He's, he's calling the, the leaders. He's calling the teachers. He's calling all of those who are in positions of leadership, the fathers of the faith. It's not about you. It's about the Lord and what you will do for the Lord in the lives of, and two times he tells him, God's children. They are looking primarily at the fathers of the faith and the children of God. And then the children, when they have leaders that, that are there with a servant's heart to lead them to the Almighty, then they, their hearts are turned to their leaders, their fathers in the faith. And so he is giving that message and that calling. And then comes another birth announcement. He comes to Mary. And the angel comes to Mary and he informs her of her calling and that she will bear Emmanuel. There's that word again, God with us, and you will call his name Jesus. And so she is so directed and then she responds, behold your maidservant, let it be done unto me according to your word. That's not her giving God permission. That's her surrendering to the word of God. Let it be done to me. So God's been silent, but as a record from my old days, some of you don't know what a record is. I'll try to explain that to you later. I won't take time to illustrate my illustration. But there was a, a, a song that we would listen to, Sounds of Silence. God sounds. God's not been absent for 400 years. He's been working. And he wasn't silent about those four years, 400 years, though he was silent in them. And now you're seeing God's eternal counsel coming into fruition. And now comes another angelic ministry, this time to Gabriel. At this time, we're not told it's Gabriel, it's just an angel. Could be, but we don't know who. But an angel comes and speaks to Joseph. Now take a look at that verse. Look at verse 18 with me. The birth of Jesus is in this way. Can I explain that just a little bit? What he is saying is, Matthew, well, let me do it this way. Luke is giving you the focused record of the birth of Christ through the eyes and perspective of Mary and her genealogy. He even gives you Mary's genealogy in Luke chapter 3. So here is, here is her genealogy. Here is the birth of Jesus. Even, even you can see Zechariah and Elizabeth are connected to Mary. They're relatives. In fact, Joseph and Zechariah are connected, aren't they? They're married to what is likely cousins. 
So they're connected in that they both married into another family. I don't know what you call that, but that's what they did. And so, and, but now, but now we get to an account with Matthew and Matthew is not giving you the same perspective as Luke. Matthew's given himself away when he gives the genealogy of Joseph in Matthew 1, uh, 1 through 17. And then he says, now it's in this way. And he is giving you the birth of Jesus from the perspective of Jesus adopted father. Now, some people, I know people say, you know, Pastor, isn't it more accurate to call Jesus, uh, call, um, call Jesus, uh, Joseph's stepson? You know, I don't believe so. I really don't. I mean, I, I'm not going to argue with this. I won't go to the stake and be burned for this one. But, uh, but I, I think, um, I don't, A, I think that Joseph has a very specific calling and it is to function not with all of the dynamics that a stepfather would, but to function as a father, even though the child doesn't come from his seed. Yet it, that child is coming through his seed through Mary, who is of the seed of David. And I believe he's called to raise him for his calling to save his people from their sins. And this birth announcement, like Zechariah and like Mary, gives you a miraculous birth. A miraculous birth, but this one's not a providentially miraculous birth. Now, what do I mean by that? Miraculous, but yet it w- yet God used the processes that he had put in place. It's just he intervened so the barren womb could bear, could bear a child. This is a redemptive, miraculous intervention. It's not through the means that God accomplishes. It is beyond that. The virgin conceives. And the reason you have a virgin birth, a virgin giving birth, is because the virgin conception. That's really where we focus our examination. The reason that a virgin gives birth is because of Joseph's obedience. When they are married and the marriage process is finished, what, what is their relationship? They are husband and wife in step one, betrothal. There were three steps in the marital dynamic uh, of the of a Jewish marriage, there was betrothal and commitment. Then there was ceremony, and then based upon the uh, based upon that, there was consummation. Well, Joseph is telling you that we're, we're told from this from this perspective of Joseph that when he comes and receives this, what is their status? Their husband and wife. Now, legally, they're already married. Legally, they're married. That's why they're called husband and wife. But the process was, in the Jewish wedding was, basically for a year, there would be a season of betrothal. Which means that you, the man, is showing the father of the bride that I will be able to do what I've promised. I will treat her with dignity, I will provide for her, I will protect her. And the woman reveals her commitment of purity. 
And the woman reveals her commitment to come alongside the one to whom she's betrothed. That's where they are. They're in that period of time somewhere of betrothal. That will be followed by a ceremony. Remember the the wedding feast of Cana. That will be followed by a ceremony and then, of course, the marriage bed. But they're already husband and wife. And now some people say, well, that's kind of like our engagement. No, it's not quite like our engagement because in our engagement, if you decide to end it, you just give a ring back or at least you better give the ring back. And uh, so uh, that's that's just it. Now, in this case, if it ends after betrothal, there has to be a divorce. And some news has arrived to Joseph. Folks, the chronology of these four sermons have not been very difficult. We know clearly that Mary came to Elizabeth, who was already with child, six months pregnant. So we know which angel ministry came first, Gabriel to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we know which one comes second, Mary, because she comes after Elizabeth six months later when she gets her announcement. And I'm a little bit speculative here, but I feel I'm on solid ground. It's clear in this text that Joseph has received some news. He has received news that Mary is with child. What the text doesn't say, have they had any conversation? There is no record that she came and talked to him yet. There is no record that he has talked with her, but there is clearly a message that has come to him, the one to whom you're betrothed, whom you have kept as a virgin, the one in whom this period of betrothal you have embraced and committed yourself to. It sounds like some man has brought condemnation. Some man has brought sin and she has complied because she's with child. And believe me, Jewish people didn't have, a, you know, a children's story about storks. Uh, he could figure this one out. And that's where he is with the news. Well, that has to mean. Now, what is he going to do? Well, Joseph, with this news, we're told he has contemplated. He has given consideration. He didn't just react in anger. He gave it consideration. And with the news that he had, he had come up with a plan. Number one, it's interesting, both Zechariah and Joseph are called what? Righteous. They're both men who have a test. That doesn't mean they have a righteousness that saves them. That means they've got a solid testimony that God's word matters to them. Well, God's word's clear in this matter. That there would have to be given a writ of divorce. Normally, that was done publicly. But Joseph not only reveals his commitment to God's word, there seems to be no doubt in his mind, I'm going to have to divorce her. But how can I do this the best possible way for Mary? I don't want to put her to shame. Now, obviously, what are they fe- what, That's telling you something. They haven't lived in a culture that celebrates sexual promiscuity and sexual perversion. They've lived in a culture that is sensitive to these matters of the sacredness of sexuality only within marriage. Therefore, 
anything outside of marriage is shameful. It is sinful. It is wrong. And so what he wants to do is to do what's right, justice, righteousness, but to do it with as much mercy as possible. So he has decided on a plan to do this privately, just to take care of this as privately as possible. In my this now, I will tell you this is speculation. I'll, I'll tell you where I believe this fits in the chronology. You've got Elizabeth, you've got Mary, and now you've got Joseph. I believe this takes place. What fits for me is Mary, for some reason, we don't know whether her parents sent her or whether she had a long-standing relationship with Elizabeth. We don't know what, but the, one of the first things that she does upon being pregnant with this child, this uh, virgin conception, she goes to see Elizabeth. And you know that God uses that to fulfill his word because as soon as she arrives at Elizabeth and the presence of Christ in the womb, you do see these, in the womb is a real person. That one in her womb's presence sent the power of redemption and the first recorded convert of the incarnate Christ is John the Baptist as he is filled with the Spirit. I believe our study this morning is taking place while she's with Elizabeth. I don't think he's had time to talk to her, but the news has arrived to him. He is now considering what can he do that's righteous, but that is merciful. And in the midst of this, as his namesake, God communicates in a dream. Look with me, if you would. Uh, look with me down to the, this uh, verse that we uh, kind of left off at. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph. Now, he, ha- he bears the name of Joseph, but he is of the tribe of Judah, because he's the son of David, the tribe of the scepter the line of David. So he will legally affirm that as the, not as the biological father, but as the adopted father. And so he says to him, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, by the way, here's another parable. Here's, I mean, here's another parallel. When, when the angel spoke to, when the angel spoke to, um, uh, Zechariah, what did he, what was the first thing he said? Do not fear. What does this angel say to Joseph? Folks, this isn't hard. Come on. Just wake up. What does he say? But for a different reason. To Zechariah, do not fear because of the astonishing impact of the one from the throne of God in your presence, the angel that brought him to the end of himself. Here, Joseph, do not fear to do your job, to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear. You're not under condemnation. And I'm going to show you why you should not fear. You have a calling. You have a son. And you and Mary 
are bringing into this world the presence of the Almighty. Not only has God not been absent for 400 years, now when he speaks, the one who rules over the affairs of humanity is becoming one of us. God is with us, participating in human history, fully God and fully man. Don't fear. That's the child you're going to raise. Don't fear. You are not compromising biblical truth. The one who is bearing your child is still faithful to the word. Her conception is as a virgin. The Holy Spirit has come upon her as in the creation, brooded over her. And as in the creation, when the Holy Spirit brooded over and the first thing that came was light, now the Holy Spirit is brooding over the darkness of her unpenetrated womb. And from this is coming the light of the world. Two times in the text he will tell Joseph. Two times for emphasis. The one she carries is of the Holy Spirit. The miraculous fulfillment. And so he says, "All she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He's, I'm going to save you all some time. You don't have to sit and think and have a meeting on what you're going to name your child. Zechariah, Elizabeth, John. Here's his vocation as the forerunner of the Messiah. Mary, Joseph, talking to you separately, but I'm giving you the same message. God is now with us through you and this, this birth of the virgin that comes forward. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And his name, you'll call him Jesus. Why? He's got a vocation. He's got a mission. He's got a calling. God has come in the flesh for one purpose, and that is to save his people, Jew and Gentile, from every nation and tribe, and bring them to himself. And not this is his job Hope it gets done. This is his job. It will be done. And the same power of the Almighty that brings him into this world through this miraculous moment is the one who will be with him and the one who will raise him from the dead. He will save his people from their sins and lose not one of them. Not one. That's where the promise comes to Joseph. Don't fear. Here's your calling. You're going to be the adopted father. And you are going to take care of the appointed mother to bear this child. And together, you will raise him, the son of God and son of man. You're going to teach him how to speak. You're going to teach him how to do carpenter work. You're going to walk through fields and talk to him about planting. He's going to get a lot of his illustrations directly from walking with his daddy through life. Don't fear this. Calling. We're bringing Jesus through you. You're bringing Jesus to them. 
And Jesus will bring them to glory. And he says to him, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. And then he gives the Isaiah prophecy. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. In other words... Dare I say it, he manned up. This is what you called me to do. You told me not to be fearful. All of this is taking place to fulfill. Next time somebody tells you or says to you, you really believe the Bible is infallible, you just take them to this text. All of humanity has been ruled by a sovereign God to fulfill this prophecy. God's word never fails. God will fulfill his word. And here is the word of God fulfilled. (laughs) Joseph, don't fear. That same God's going to be with you. And God's going to be with his people through his son. And he's using you. And he's using Mary. Don't fear. And so he comes forward. Just let me give you this brief. Um, There's so much I would love to talk with you about. Let me just give you this brief thought. In terms of uh, the takeaway, behold a man. Now, I'm unapologetically going to say it again. I know it is not politically correct. There is something called biblical masculinity. There is something called Christian manhood. Take a look. Here's one for you. Joseph, behold a man. What does the Bible tell us about a man? 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Here's what the Bible tells us about a man. The Bible tells us, be watchful, stand firm, act like a man, be strong, and everything you do, do it in love. This is a man. Strength and courage to embrace his God-given responsibilities to his wife, to his children, to life, to his church, and to redemption. Take a look. Here's a man. Behold a man. He acts like a man. Says no to fear. Well, this is embarrassing. Do you know what they're going to be saying about us? And by the way, he had to be a man until God called him. We don't know when he called him home. I don't have the slightest idea. I know he was around till Jesus was 12 doing his job. I don't know after that. I don't believe he was alive when Jesus went to the cross because I know what he would have done because I know what I would have done if they had taken my son to that cross. I think God graciously took him home before he got in the way of things there. But he's strong and courageous. To fulfill his calling before God as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a called, gifted steward of Christ. Strong and courageous, yet sensitive and compassionate. How can I take care? And he thinks she has violated not only her commitment to the Lord, but her commitment to him. Yet look at his compassion for her. Look at his care for her. 
sensitive and compassionate in relationships, strong and courageous in responsibilities, sensitive and compassionate in relationships. Grant me this a moment. I, um, I've studied a, um, a, a unit that fought in the Civil War, the 54th Massachusetts, which was the first quote-unquote colored regiment. And you may know of the movie that was made about them. It's called Glory. And they, it's relatively accurate historically. And one of the things they attempt to portray is something that happened before they made the charge on Fort Wagoner, and they knew 70% were going to die. They knew that. They knew seven out of ten were not coming back. And it's in, they had a revival meeting before that night. And one of the men stood up. He's played by Denzel Washington in the movie. And one of the men stood up and said, I don't know for sure what's going to happen tomorrow, but we're going to face the gun of the enemy. But we're going to face them. We are not going to run from the muzzle. We will face them. Then he said this. We're men, ain't we? Now put that in the context of eight generations being told you're four-fifths of a person and a piece of property. We're men, ain't we? If there is ever a time we need men of God, it's now. I unabashedly say it. Ladies, listen, I believe, that's it. I know this isn't the only thing I can do as a pastor for the women of a congregation, but I know one thing that's on my heart, and that is to present to your fathers, your husbands, your sons, and and um, uh, your fathers, your husbands, your sons, your grandfathers, all of them, This is what it means to be a man of God for God. Behold a man. We throw the term in Western civilization trying to get this in shorthand. Gentlemen. They don't have to be somebody by walking over other people. They won't gossip. They won't slander. They won't, um, they won't be, they won't commit malfeasance. They're going to do the next right thing, not because they're working their way to heaven, but because heaven came down and did the work to bring them to heaven. Therefore, they want to give themselves as men. They want to act like men. Just as Latimer said to Ridley at Oxford that day that they burned to death, he said, Mr. Ridley, play the man. Act like a man. Here's a man. I'm going to be embarrassed. Listen, Jesus doesn't, quote, come out as the Messiah until he's 30 years old. Joseph lived for 30 years of the life of Jesus, or however long he lived up until then, with people mocking and slandering and whispering. But he stepped up, and he kept his wife a virgin until their marriage. And then he took Jesus and he raised him with his brothers and his sisters. And he did his work so much that Jesus was called the son of a carpenter. He provided, he protected. And Mary didn't have to wonder, I wonder if he's off in a midlife crisis somewhere. But by God's grace... 
He was able to be a man that you can look at and I can look at. I just um, long and pray for young men to know at Briarwood, you've got a place to learn how to be a man for God, by God, and owned by God. We won't do it perfectly, but we're committed to doing it. And ladies, just like we'd wipe away all the Mariology and aberrations, look at Mary, a woman for God. I'm your maidservant. I'm willing to take this on. Let it be done to me according to your word. Why? Like her husband, her trust is in the Lord. That banishes fear and that overflows with love and joy. Then I, I would simply end by saying this. Behold the man, Jesus, who will come in this glorious moment. Behold him in all of his glory. See him save John the Baptist. See him save people like me and you. But here's what I want you to see. Here's the man, the one who will save us from our sins. The son of God, son of man, comes to save us. (laughs) Joseph, don't worry about embarrassment. Jesus is going to take it all for you at the cross. Don't worry about condemnation. Jesus is going to remove it all at the cross. Don't worry about the charges of gossipers and slanders. Jesus is going to eradicate all your charges at the cross here's the man the savior not a man the man our redeemer the one mediator between god and man the man christ jesus here he is put your trust him but then bring him to others mary brought jesus to elizabeth john the baptist is converted joseph was used of god to bring jesus To save us from our sins. Now let's bring Jesus to others. That they can be brought to him. Mary did it. Joseph did it. And the same spirit who dwelt in them dwells in us. May God allow us to do it. And be done with lesser things. Our hearts belong to Christ the King. Father, thank you for these moments together in your word. Thank you. I pray that you would teach us. Folks, just spend a few moments in silent prayer. I'll just leave it to you to pray. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.